Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. Uh, today is October the 11th, and this ministry is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. So, we are working our way through the book of, <clears throat> of Acts together. Uh, let's see, right here. Last time we were together, session 34, uh, we looked at chapters 20 through 29, 21 through 14. Uh, so uh, today, uh, we're going to pick up in 2115. So um, just remember all of my notes are on directionalministries.blogspot.com, or you can go there just by typing duanespearman.org. And then remember also the audio studies are there from SoundCloud. If you want to take a, a listen to those, they're there. And then also video studies as I upload these to YouTube. Uh, they are there as well. So anyway, uh, that's that. So let's go ahead and look in um, uh, chapter 21, verse number 15. And that's where we'll pick up today. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, <clears throat> say a quick word of prayer. Father, we love you and ask that you would go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. And as we pray, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, uh, Scott. How are you doing today, brother? Hope you're doing well. Um, man, my camera's kind of washed out a little bit. I, uh, I've been using this computer to do Skype interviews and things like that all week with some schools. And, um, so, uh, I've been switching back and forth between the, uh, the camera that's on the laptop and my, this Logitech one. So I guess it's kind of thrown off my video a little bit, but, um, nobody's watching this to see me. So we'll be all right. Uh, so session number 35, um, just for a little bit of context, uh, chapter number 21, Paul get, finally gets to Jerusalem. Came to pass that after he had gotten from them, he had launched, we came a straight course to Kus, and the following day to Rhodes, and from thence to Patara. And we sailed, and we finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and we set forth. And we discovered Cyprus on the left, and Syria, we landed at Tyre, we unlaid the ship, and we found some disciples. We tarried there for seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul had received repeated warnings that he should not go to Jerusalem because it was not going to end well. And, of course, it didn't. And when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and, and all we were brought on our way with wives, children, till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and we prayed. And when we had taken... Our leave of one another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And then the next day, uh, we that were of Paul's company, remember Luke is writing this, um, we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. And this was one of the seven uh, deacons that were selected in Acts chapter number 6. And the man had four daughters, virgins that prophesied. 
And as we tarried there many days, we came down from Judea, and a certain prophet by the name of Agabus. And when he was coming to the house, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth its girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And of course, Agabus was not a false prophet. What he said did come to pass. Backlight, maybe that'll help. What he said came to pass, and it, and when he heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. And of course, they were speaking out of friendship and love for Paul. They didn't want him to walk into what was obviously going to be a bad situation. And then Paul answered, Why mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. And then here's our new text. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went to Jerusalem. And there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, brought with them one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple, with whom we should lodge. So Paul finally arrives. Uh, well, let's read verse 16. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem, where prophetically everything was going to go bad. Uh, the word carriage is there. We took up our carriages. That's just a old way of saying our baggage. So we took up our baggage and we went to Jerusalem. And then in verse number 18, And the following day Paul went in with us unto James. And all the elders were present, and when we had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So this is James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the writer of the epistle of James. Um, he's there. He's, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You'll remember we met, he, he also spoke at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter number 15. And Paul began to give him an update and, of course, the elders who were present with him in regards to what God was doing among the Gentiles with Paul's grace ministry. Remember that they had already approved of the message at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter number 15. Remember, um, you know, Paul was converted in Acts chapter number 9. Uh, he preached, he was under the kingdom gospel. That's all he knew. That's all anyone knew. Uh, but sometime between Acts 9 and Acts 15, probably around chapter 13, Paul received um, the, the, the mystery that had been hidden from previous ages, the mystery of the body of Christ, the mystery of the grace gospel. Um, and when he went back to Jerusalem, and I think the first time he taught that was probably around chapter number 13, then he goes back to Jerusalem and he shares what had been revealed to him, to the apostles. And they agreed with him. They seemingly understood what he was saying, and they said, that's great, uh, we'll stay here and preach to the circumcised, and you go preach to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. And that's what Paul did. Now Paul's back in Jerusalem, and he's given an account of what has happened since he was last there in regards to his ministry among the Gentiles. Um, and you'll remember from his stay in Acts chapter number 15, 
He said in Galatians chapter number six that they added nothing to me. Uh, and what that means is they they didn't give him anything as far as what the Lord had revealed unto him. And understand, it was uniquely, distinctly revealed to the Apostle Paul. The other apostles did not receive it. The other apostles did not even know about it until Paul told them about it. And even in the end, uh, according to Peter, they did not fully understand what Paul was teaching or what had been revealed to Paul. And, of course, we know that Paul continually received revelation after revelation until finally it was complete and the Pauline epistles uh, were written in totality, which we have today. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. So as Paul gives an update on what God is doing among the Gentiles with the gospel that he's preaching to them, they also in turn give an update about what God is doing among the Jews that are believing and that they are zealous for the law. It's very interesting that this verse, it records their response to Paul's update about what God is doing specifically among the Gentiles. And they say God is also working among the Jews uh, who are believing. Believing what? Not the grace gospel, but the kingdom gospel. Uh, they are teaching two different gospels at this point. Remember, the book of Acts is a transitional book. It is a transition from the apostles to Paul. It's transition from Jerusalem to Antioch. It's transition from the kingdom gospel to the grace gospel. The book has to be viewed that way. Or when you open up to Romans chapter 1, verse number 1, it's not going to make any sense. Um, so they respond, the Jews are zealous of the law. Again, this verse alone demonstrates that there was is an overlap of kingdom and grace, or what we call the Pauline gospel. There's an overlap. I mean, today, you and I aren't zealous of the law. Uh, we're not out stoning people. We're not out making sacrifices in the temple. Um, we're not under the Mosaic law, but they were, and they continued to be. And we are in Acts chapter number 21. We are far removed from Pentecost, and the, the Jews are still zealous from the law, are, are zealous of the law. Um, if there was only one gospel at this point, this would have not been a reason to celebrate, because being unzealous of the law is not grace. Being zealous of the law is not being under the grace gospel at all. Um, and then notice in verse 21, and they, and they are informed of thee, who's they? The believing Jews that are still zealous of the law, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. What is it therefore? And the multitude, they, they will come together, and they will hear that you have come. So, more verses that clearly indicate that Paul was teaching a different gospel that did not require law-keeping. Okay? Um, the posturing of the question. Notice the posturing of the question. And they. That's not referring to James. It's not referring to the elders that are around James. 
who are celebrating with Paul about what God is doing among the Gentiles, and Paul is celebrating with them what God is doing among the Jews. They is the is the believing Jews that would sooner or later hear that he's there, and they're going to come and question him because they have heard that he is teaching the other Jews to forsake the law of Moses, not circumcise their children, and to not keep the customs. Now, again, uh, we do not walk in the law of Moses today. We don't circumcise our children. We don't keep the customs like they did today. Why? Because we are under grace. But these guys were not under grace at this point. They are still very much under the law, under the kingdom gospel. The we indicates that they did not believe that Paul was actually telling the Jews. Okay? And it says, And they are informed of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews that are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. They is referring to the unbelieving, um, or the believing Jews that were zealous of the law. They've heard that you're telling the other ones not to... Uh, circumcised children, not to keep the law, not to walk in the customs. And what that tells us is that James and the elders that were around him knew better. That was not what Paul was doing. Paul was not telling the other Jews that were among the Gentiles to forsake the law of Moses. Um, Obviously, Paul was this. Paul was not because he was still preaching the kingdom. When what they were confused because they were listening to what Paul was saying to the Gentiles, and they thought he was saying the same thing to the Jews. He wasn't. Paul continued to preach two gospels. I know that blows some people's minds, um, but he was preaching two gospels. He was preaching a kingdom gospel to the Jews. Clearly, in Ephesus, he was preaching a kingdom gospel to the Jews there in Ephesus. But when he had a Jewish audience, he was preaching a grace gospel. So what Paul is being accused of here was not true. It was a misunderstanding. So they wanted to hear it for themselves from Paul. And then notice in verse 23, do therefore this that we say to thee. Now they come up with a plan to prove that Paul had not forsaken the law of Moses. We have four men which have a vow on them. Take them and purify thyself with them. What what are they talking about? They're talking about that Nazarite vow that Paul had taken back in Acts chapter number 18, which is why he was in such a hurry to get to Jerusalem so that he can fulfill that vow. So now he's in Jerusalem, and these guys are saying, you know what, we've got four guys that have taken the same vow that you've taken, and this would be an awesome opportunity for the other Jews to see that you have not forsaken the law of Moses like you have been accused of. So why don't you take these four guys with you, purify yourself with them, and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads also, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walk orderly and you keep the law. Now again, anybody that looks at the book of Acts and says the church was born in chapter number two, and from then on out, it was no longer about the law. 
you can only run with that so far. I mean, the Jews are very obviously still keeping the law, even the believing Jews. Okay, There's two Gospels in the book of Acts. Uh, there's not two Gospels today. Today, Jew and Gentile, we make up the body of Christ. There's only one way in, and that's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's by faith, believing, believing that, and that's it. It's not repentance, it's not baptism, it's not keeping the law, it's not circumcising your kids, it's not walking orderly, it's not keeping the customs, none of that. All of that is part of the kingdom gospel. And once the kingdom was off the table, that gospel is to no longer be preached. It's not salvific. It is not a saving gospel today. It will be preached someday in the future, after the church is raptured out during Daniel's 70th week, what we refer to as the tribulation period, that gospel will be preached again according to Matthew chapter number 24. It will be preached again, and then the end will come, Matthew chapter number 24. But that kingdom gospel is not taught today. We don't teach people to do those things, at least we're not supposed to. Of course, a lot of the church does. Some blatantly do it, and some passively do it. Um, so they initiate this plan that will demonstrate to the questioning, questioning Jews that, that Paul had not forsaken the law of Moses. Remember that he has been trying to get back to Jerusalem to fulfill this vow since eight, chapter number 18. Chapter number 18, verse 18, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence to Syria with him, Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. See, he's been trying to get back to Jerusalem to fulfill this vow. So now he's here, and they said, Take these four guys, let them shave their heads, and then everybody will see you going into the temple with these four devout Jews, and they'll see that you still keep the law. This is a photo op. This is an opportunity for Paul to show the Jews in Jerusalem that he had not and was not teaching that they should forsake the law of Moses. The very fact that Paul went through this was proof that he did not believe that the nation was no longer under the law. He did believe. Did, did that come out right? He did not believe that the nation. He did believe. <laughs> he did believe that the nation was still under the law. I think that makes a little, little more sense. Uh, he did believe that the nation was still under the law of Moses. And they were. That's why you cannot read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Hebrews through Revelation, and stick the body of Christ in there. If you do, you're going to place the body of Christ under the law. The body of Christ is not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because Paul had not even been converted yet. Paul had not even received the mystery yet. It wasn't there. The apostles didn't know about it. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't try to find the church there. Don't go to verses like, he that endures to the end shall be saved. That verse has nothing to do with the body of Christ. That church has something to do with the Jews in the tribulation period, and they are still very much under the law. 
Then when you read the Hebrew epistles, remember those were written by, Hebrews is up in the air. Some people say Paul wrote it. A lot of people say Paul didn't write it. Uh, but the Hebrew epistles is addressed to the Jews. It's not addressed to the church. I mean, read the salutations in those those letters. They're clearly not written to the body of Christ. They are written to Jews who were still very much looking for the king to come back and to establish his kingdom. They were still preparing the Jews. Understand, they believed that... Uh, I showed you guys this. This is what should have happened. They believed that all, all, of, the, all of the prophecies pointed to the coming of the Messiah. All of the prophecies pointed to that. He called out the twelve apostles, and he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not here, but it's at hand. It's going to be offered in a yet future date. Okay, it's repent, prepare yourself for it. He calls out the twelve. They preached the same message. Jesus, John the Baptist, and the twelve all preached a kingdom message not a grace gospel message. They could not have been preaching the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it hadn't happened yet. Okay? And so they preached that message, and Christ went to the cross. Now, the average person today will say, when they crucified Jesus, that's when they rejected the kingdom offer. No, they had to crucify Jesus before the kingdom offer could be made. A testament is only in effect, according to Hebrews, after the, after the death of the testator. While the testator is yet liveth, there is no power in his testament. When you and I die, they will read our last will and testament. They're not going to read it looking at our faces. <laughs> They're in effect after you're dead. Christ had to die in order to forgive the transgressions that were committed under the Old Testament before he could offer them the New Testament. So when Christ died and then Christ resurrected, Peter came on the scene. He was the one. He said, I will give you the keys. What you bind will be bound and what you loose will be loose. And what did, P what did Peter do with these keys? He offered them the kingdom. He legitimately offered them the kingdom at Pentecost. Pentecost has nothing to do with the body of Christ. Pentecost has nothing to do with the church in which you and I are in. And if you look at all of the denominational schisms and isms that we face today, it's because of a misunderstanding of Pentecost. It's because of a misunderstanding of what God was doing in the book of Acts. So he was to offer them the kingdom. Stephen, again, also spoke of the kingdom. But what happened? They rejected it. But what could have happened, what should have happened, is they should have accepted it, and Daniel's 70th week would have rolled right in. They would have went into Daniel's 70th week. Read Daniel 9. Daniel 9 talks about 490 years are determined for thy people. At 483 years, the Messiah will come, but he will be cut off, not for himself, but for the transgressions. And then if they would have accepted the offer of the kingdom, they would have rolled into the seven-year tribulation. Christ would have returned and established his kingdom on earth. That's what should have happened. But instead, 
This is what happened. Peter's message was rejected. So God came to Paul and gave him the grace gospel. The mystery was revealed to Paul through the gospel of grace. The kingdom was postponed. There was a postponement. And now you and I are living in this period of grace. And this period of grace will end this, the, one day with the rapture of the church. And once the church is removed, then the seven-year tribulation will start. And God will focus again upon the nation of Israel. And then he will return and he will establish his kingdom. That's what should have happened. But it didn't happen because they rejected it. So we have to understand that the book of Acts is a transitional book. If we don't, we're just going to end up where we are today. You know, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul. I go to this church and I go to this church. I go to this Assemblies of God and this Church of God, but I go over here to this Baptist church and, you know, I go over here to this church and, you know, we're cessationists and no, we're Pentecostal. Where do we get all these, these problems? We believe you can lose your salvation. We believe that once saved, always saved. Where do we get all of this? By reading the body of Christ into things that are written to the nation of Israel. That's where we get those things. So notice verse number 25. And as touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Uh, James is referring back to the Council of Jerusalem. This verse proves again that Paul was teaching another gospel to the Gentiles that did not require the keeping of the law. They are making a reference back to the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council. And the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council was, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Why was the Jerusalem Council called? Because there were Jews saying that these new Gentile believers needed to be baptized, they needed to fall under the law of Moses, they needed to keep the customs. And the, and the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council was, we don't want to lay any of these things on you. No greater burden. All you need to do is stain from meats, offered idols, from blood, from things strangled, from fornication, and keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare you well. So James is referring back to the Council of Jerusalem. The more I study, the more confused I am that most of the church rejects this. You know, when you come up to the average Christian, the average Christian is illiterate, to be honest with you. The average Christian is like the average voter <laughs> in the United States. They don't know nothing but what they've been told, you know, and they choose to dial into a left-leaning channel or they choose to dial into a right-leaning channel. Christians are the same way. They dial into this denomination, they dial into that denomination, and they don't know squat. So when you talk to them about these deep things, you've lost them. They don't know what you're talking about, and that's sad. Um, but it is clear, and it gets clear to me every day without hesitation. There are simply no grounds to assume that there's only one gospel. There's two gospels um, going on in the book of Acts. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every 
one of them. So now we see Paul doing exactly what was suggested by his Jewish brethren, that he publicly entered the temple with the other Jews to demonstrate that he was not teaching them to forsake the law of Moses. Now again, we... um, we suspect that this is a Nazarite vow that's mentioned in Numbers chapter number 6. That means that all this temple stuff that's going on here involves sacrificing animals <laughs> as sin offerings. Paul was sacrificing animals as sin offerings in chapter 21 of the book of Acts? Yes, he was. So what about those who say there's only one gospel at this point? Making sacrifices in the temple hardly goes along with the gospel of grace. Why would Paul do this? Because the kingdom gospel required it. And the kingdom gospel was still very much on the table at this point. It was diminishing. Make no mistake. You know, we talked about this right here. The diminishing. I mean, it's, you know, the Jerusalem, Israel is beginning to fall. Have they been cast off? You know, to never be restored again? No. But the kingdom is going to be, is being postponed at this point. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. That wasn't a a nice thing. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches every man everywhere against the people and the law in this place. And Father brought Greeks into the temple and has polluted this holy place. The plan didn't work. (laughs) The photo op uh, didn't work. Um, The seven days is a reference to the time required under the Nazarite vow. In Numbers chapter 6, verse number 9. Notice that these Jews... Uh, it says, ended the Jews which were of Asia. Now, this is not referring to the Jews that were in Jerusalem, the believing Jews that were in Jerusalem that wanted to talk to Paul about whether or not he's teaching the other Jews to forsake the law of Moses. These Jews had come to Jerusalem from Asia. This is most likely the Jews back from chapter number 19. And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. These Jews from Asia actually followed him down into Jerusalem. You're talking about some spiteful people. I mean, they followed him uh, and began to stir up the people, and, and we see that all throughout Paul's ministry. And the charges were that Paul is teaching all men everywhere against the people, which is the Jews, against the law, which is Mosaic, and against this place, which is the temple. And further brought Greeks into the temple and has polluted this place. Understand that the context of their accusations are distinctly Jewish. It's all about the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish law, the Jewish temple. And there's two things that are obvious. They are accusing his message. They are they are they are accusing his message to the Gentiles as the same that he preached to the Jews. 
That's not so. Paul was not teaching the Jews to forsake the law of Moses. So they were, they are, that right there should not be, a, I think the word should be confusing. They are confusing his message to the Gentiles as the same that he preached to the Jews. And that wasn't so. The accusation, this accusation alone, at least in my opinion, proves that Paul preached two gospels. Why would they be confusing his messages? Because he was preaching two of them. I mean, this should give us a moment of pause to those who insist of only one gospel. If there is, then Paul is guilty of everything that these people are accusing him of. And the last charge that he brought Greeks into the temple was patently false. Because Luke goes on in verse number 19, For they had seen before with them in the city Trophimus and Ephesian when they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So again, this proves that these accusers were from Ephesus. These were the Jews that followed Paul down. Um, and all the city was moved, and the people ran together. They took Paul, they drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. Who needs facts? You know, it reminds me of our culture today. Who needs facts? Sounds like the morons that are running around today. Um, the word moved, the, and the city was moved, it literally means the city was agitated. Um, as a result, uh, they drew Paul out of the temple. Uh, and when it says they drew him out, <laughs> uh, uh, they're going to hurt him, okay? Um, and then I have a little note here. Who needs facts? I mean, these people are running around. The whole city's agitated. The people ran together. They took Paul. Um, and a lot of them didn't even know what was going on. Just like with Diana of the Ephesians, there was confusion in Ephesus, and people didn't even know what was happening. We just caught up, we get caught up in this crowd mentality. And trust me, in the church, we do the same thing. Um, we, we do the same thing. We all need to do our own homework. Um, I had an old brother, Bob Haynes. He would always tell me, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. Um, and unfortunately, today, we just, we just don't take the time to do our homework. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came into the chief captain of the band. Bear in mind, this is a Roman, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So their motivations are clear in regards to what they intended to do with Paul. They wanted to do with Paul exactly what they had done with Stephen back in Acts chapter number 7, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down among them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left off beating Paul. And then the chief came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. So now we know that Agabus was not a false prophet. Agabus saw very clearly what was going to happen to Paul once he got into Jerusalem. And seemingly, as he comes in Jerusalem, he's talking to James, he's talking to, to, the, to the elders. They're all celebrating what God had done among the Gentiles and among the Jews. Um, it ended very quickly. Um, 
And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when they could not know for certainty the tumult, uh, because for the tumult, they commanded him to be carried into the fortress, the castle. And when he came upon the stair, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. That literally means that they are carrying Paul. They are pulling, ripping Paul away from, excuse me, from these Jews. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying away with him. And as Paul was led to the castle, he said to the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men who were murderers? So now Paul requests permission to speak to the chief captain who asked him, You speak Greek? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's uh, the question for Bar is out of surprise. He's like, you speak Greek? Um, because obviously Paul asked him the question in Greek. The, I think the, the captain was surprised because he thought Paul was an Egyptian. Um, he believed that Paul was an Egyptian who had stirred up the people earlier and led them out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers. Now, we're not told why the captain made this assumption, but if you read the writings of Josephus, and if you, um, you can down eSword, you can actually download that. Uh, Josephus gives some historical background when he said, this Egyptian, which strikingly accords with the statement here recorded by Luke, came from Egypt to Jerusalem and said that he was a prophet and advised the multitude of the common people to go out with him to the Mount of Olives. See, Josephus has given some historical background here. And he said further that he would show them from thence how the walls of Jerusalem would fall down. And he promised them that he would procure for them an entrance through those walls when they were fallen down. And, of course, I read the whole thing. I'm just pulling out some things for the sake of time. And he further said... <clears throat> These who followed him, he led round about from the wilderness to the mount, which is called the Mount of Olives, and was ready to break into Jerusalem by force. But Felix, who was apprised of his movements, he knew what he was doing, marched against him with the Roman soldiers and defeated him and killed 400 of them and took 200 of them alive. But the Egyptian himself escaped. So that explains why the Roman centurion felt that Paul might be that Egyptian. Because here he is again stirring up the Jews, and so he just his mind went back to the Egyptian. And then notice verse number 39. But Paul said, I'm a, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a city, a no, no mean city. Uh, and when he had given him silence, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand of the people. And when he was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. So Paul reassures him that he's not that Egyptian and is instead a Roman citizen and asks permission to address the people. <clears throat> Remember, we talked about how Paul uniquely uh, was able to fulfill the role as the apostle to the Gentiles, in that he himself and he alone was a Roman citizen. And he used this trump card on several <clears throat> occasions. 
he'll do it again here in a little bit. And then verse chapter 22, he says, Men and brethren, fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Uh, again, um, and when they heard this, that he spake Hebrew, <clears throat> in the Hebrew tongue, they kept more silence. Uh, and he said, I <clears throat> am verily, excuse me, am a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, city of Cilicia, yet brought up into the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, even as you are this day. So it's pretty obvious, um, you know, I, I made a little note here, because when you finish off, if you finish off at chapter number 21, clearly there's a comma there. But Usher, the one that divided uh, the scripture uh, up into chapters and verses, uh, he divided it right there. So we got to be careful when we we are paying attention to chapter divisions and verses. This is all one thought. It's all one paragraph. Uh, he didn't bother with the, with the commas, obviously. So Paul um, was getting ready to give uh, a defense. The word defense is an apologia. It means an answer in regards to the accusations that had been made against him by the Jews, that he was teaching them to disregard the law of Moses. So he's getting ready to give this apology of this defense. And notice that he spake to them in the Hebrew tongue. Now, obviously, a lot of these Jews spoke other languages. Some of them probably spoke Egyptian. Most of them spoke Greek because Greek was the lingua franca of the day. It was the business language of the day, just like today, English is the lingua franca. It's the business language of the day. If you've traveled any, any at all, you will find that. Um, everybody aspires to speak the English language because that is the language, the common language of the day. Um, and But I believe that he spoke Hebrew because it was their heart language. Plus, he wanted to identify himself as one of them. And he, and he points to his education. He points to his background as proof that he knew the perfect manner of the law of Moses. He sat at the feet of one of the most popular teachers in Israel, Gamaliel. And he says, I know the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and I am zealous toward God, even as you are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death. This way, you remember Jesus, the followers of Christ were called the way. And Paul is saying, I persecuted these of the way, um, binding and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. And also the high priest, they can bear me witness. And all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, I went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound to Jerusalem for to be punished. So now in his defense, he points out just how zealous he was and how he persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering them to prisons, both men and women. He even points out that the high priest are witnesses to the fact because they're the ones that gave him the letters, the permission, if you will, to go to, go to get these people of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem. Of course, verse number six, he starts to share his testimony, which we find in Acts chapter number nine. And it came to pass that as I made my journey, I was come nine to Damascus about noon. 
And suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me, they saw the light, and they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice that spoke to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And again, he's just recounting what happened to him on the Damascus road in Acts chapter number 9. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told unto thee, which told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could see, could not see for the glory of that light, remember he was blinded, I was led by the hand of them that were with me, and I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee. Now when he says the God of our fathers, he's talking about the Jewish fathers. That thou shouldest know his will and see that just one. That's a reference to Christ. And should hear the voice of his mouth, which he heard on the Damascus road. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Now And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, obviously, Paul is leaving out a few details here. He's just telling. He's trying to recount it just like we do every time we give our testimony, every time we recount a story. Um, sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's shorter, depending on what we're trying to get across to the people. So now Paul shares his testimony of his conversion experience on the road. And notice that he says in verse 16 that Ananias told Paul he needed to be baptized to wash away his sins. Okay, This is clearly not part of the grace gospel. However, there is nothing that Paul has said thus far that I can see um, that the people would disagree with, but that's about to change. Obviously, Paul, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, there's no doubt in my mind that they were starting to get an itch, that he's about to go somewhere <laughs> with this uh, because he's persecuting those of the way. And now all of a sudden, he's the Lord speaking to him on this road to Damascus. So I think they're, they're getting a little tense at this point, And it came to pass. That when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, still good Jewish boy, I was in a trance, and I saw him saying unto me, who's him? The same one that spoke to him on the road to Damascus, the one that said, Saul, Saul, while I'm persecuted, thou me. He said, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. For they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. The event Paul speaks of here is jumping three years forward after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. Three years later, he went back to Jerusalem. He was visiting Jerusalem. He was disputing with the Grecians in Acts 9, 26 through 29. He was disputing with the Grecians, which is Greek-speaking Jews. And they turned around and tried to kill him. Um, and that's when the Lord came to him and said, you know what? 
you need to make haste. You need to get out of here. They're going to try to kill you. Um, interestingly and pertinent to Paul's defense at this point, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Of course, he had not received the gospel of grace yet. So he went back into Jerusalem three years later, still believe, I believe, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I don't believe Paul received the gospel of the mystery, the hidden, the Pauline gospel during that three years between his conversion and, and his first return back to Jerusalem. You can study that. I think it was shortly thereafter that that happened. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believe on you. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing there consenting unto his death, and I kept the raiment and of them that slew him. Now again, Paul is attempting to show them that he is one of them. I was zealous of the law. I persecuted those of the way. I was even standing there holding the clothes while they stoned Stephen. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee hence unto the Gentiles. That's where he lost them. <laughs> That's where it all began to come together. And he lost them. And they gave him audience unto this word. What word? Gentile. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes, they threw dust into the air. Remember this right here? This is what should have happened. The kingdom gospel was delivered to the nation of Israel. The Old Testament points to the fact over and over and over again that Israel would be restored and then Israel herself would take the good news to the Gentiles. Everybody understood that. The Jewish leaders understood that. But they did not understand that Israel was going to be cast off, that Israel not cast off, but diminished, rejected, set aside. The kingdom was going to be postponed. They didn't understand that part. Um, so he lost them at the word Gentile. Notice that the Jews began to cry out. They began to tear off their clothes. They began to throw dirt in the air. <laughs> to me, it's pretty obvious at this point that they're planning on killing him. Okay, um, as for throwing dirt, it was just a way for them to express their anger, their indignation. You remember Shimei did the same thing to David as he was fleeing. He cast dirt in the air. My question is, why did they come unhinged at this point? Why did they listen and come unhinged at the word Gentile? My answer is that Paul was basically telling them that God had rejected them that God had rejected them and he was instead of using them, he was going to use Paul to reach the Gentiles. God was not rejecting them. They were rejecting God. And as a result, they were going to lose their most their favored nation status. Today God does not see people as Jews and Gentiles, just believing and unbelieving. Today Israel has no special status in our dispensation of grace. Are they still God's chosen people? Yes. Does God still, I believe, bless them? Yes. Uh, all the promises made to Abraham about those who bless them, I'll bless and curse, I'll curse. I believe that still stands. 
but they have no special nation status today. Now it's just Jew and Gentile. We're one. There's only one way in through the Pauline grace gospel. Again, one day they will during the kingdom, but not now. I also believe that the Jewish leaders knew the prophecies that spake of the Jews going to the Gentiles, but after the kingdom was established, after the kingdom was established, they would take it to the Gentiles. They understood their Bibles. They knew full well what the Bible said, but they did not realize that the that they had already rejected the kingdom and God was going to do it another way. Understand that the Old Testament, there were, are no prophecies about the Gentiles hearing the truth before Israel is restored. It's all after Israel has been restored that they will hear the truth. Again, these are the unsearchable riches of Christ that Paul said has been kept secret since the world began. You're not going to find it in the Old Testament. It's not there. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried out against him. Of course, the Roman captain didn't know what to make out of all of this, so he decided, you know, I'll force some answers out of Paul. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that's a Roman and uncondemned? Trump card played again. And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief, saying, Take heed what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. And the chief captain answered and said, With great sum I obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, yeah, but I was born into it. So that meant Paul was ahead of him in the caste system, if you will. And then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain was also afraid after he knew that he was Roman because he had bound him. Now, unlike what is happening in our society today, Rome respected citizenship. Citizens had rights that non-citizens did not have. They adhered to a rule of law. Paul was also quick to point out that his citizenship was not purchased like the captain's, but he was born into it. And then notice verse number 30, on the morrow, that means the next day, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews. In other words, the captain wanted to know why the Jews were what the Jews were accusing him of. He loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest, those are Jews obviously, and all of the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the next day, to know for sure what the Jews accusing Paul of, he loosed him and he set him before the chief priest and the council. And then of course that will bring us to the end of chapter number 22 and beginning Tuesday morning, uh, Paul will address the council, uh, which we know is probably not going to go very well. So, But anyway, uh, that's our study for today, and I do hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, I don't see anything going on there, but uh, I appreciate you guys and I am uh, thoroughly enjoying this. I, I, I love this study. It has just completely changed. I, you know, I, 
I've taught <laughs> the Hebrew epistles, and I just can't believe the amount of dancing I did to try to make them make sense, um, to try to join the kingdom message with the grace message and try to make it one. Um, if you if you just get over that, they're not one. They're not the same. They're both truth, but they're truth for different dispensations. If you would embrace that, I mean, the scriptures will come alive to you, and you will begin to understand that the Pauline epistles is what we need to be concerned about today in the body of Christ. All the rest is great. Uh, all of the all the rest fills in the blanks. The the missing pieces fall together. You cannot adequately appreciate what Paul is saying if you do not understand the Jews and the Jewish nation and the promises that were made to them and and their ultimate rejection of those promises. But they will one day be restored. Uh, once you once those pieces begin to fit together, I can tell you it, it makes all the difference in the world and how you see the scriptures. I feel like I'm learning it uh, again. I feel like I'm taking the same class. <laughs> you remember that class in college that you 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 failed and you're having to take it again? Um, just totally different eyes when I look at it. You know, I immediately, who, who said that? Who, who's he talking to? You know, what dispensation is, is he speaking about there? Um, it, it changes everything. But anyway, God bless you. Hope you have a great day and a great weekend. Um, remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, working all things out for your good.